Hello everyone. My name is Tracy Smith and I want to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. As you know, my purpose in doing these podcasts is to try and help you better understand God's Word and to show you through the Word of God that being a Christian doesn't have to be complicated. So let's get started. Hello everyone. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. A day or so ago, I did one about God's amazing gifts. And I said during the podcast that if I had tried to cram everything that I've done and that I've found into one podcast around God's amazing gifts, that it may be a two-day long podcast. So to keep from it being so long and, and boring you completely to death, I figured I would break it into two different podcasts or maybe even three different podcasts depending on what I found. So today is part two. I want to let you know on the front side that this is the third time that I've recorded this podcast. The first time I did it with the microphone on mute, the entire podcast on mute. The second time I did it, it was raining so hard outside that it sounded like there was interference or some kind of noise in the background that was driving me crazy. So that being said, I ought to be really, really practiced up. And uh, and this ought to be a flawless podcast. But we know better than that, don't we? So let's get started. So uh, what I really want to do in this podcast is it is to give you just brief snippets into the details around spiritual gifts. I want to give you a couple ideas around how do you identify simple ideas, logical ideas around identifying your spiritual gifts, and then God's expectations around how we use them. In the end, I just want to explain or try to demystify, if you will, spiritual gifts. Because God wants you using your gifts. And because he wants you using your gifts, I don't believe he's trying to hide them from you. So before we go too deep, I thought I would list out the gifts for you. So I dug around and I dug around and I dug around. And what I found was that I don't know that I could do them a hundred percent accurately. I found some lists that said there was seven. I found another list on Wikipedia that said there was 18 There was another site that said there were 12. And I think the numbers were all over the board because of different interpretations. And because of that, I I made a decision, an executive decision, to let you find out what the gifts are for yourself. I will save you some time, though, and I'll give you the, the scriptures where they're located. Romans 12, 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 12 verses 8 through 10, and then again in verses 28 through 30, Ephesians 4.11, and 1 Peter 4.11. So now that we got all that good stuff out of the way, let's dive into the meat and the potatoes of the podcast. Because I believe that in order to truly understand the nature of spiritual gifts, we have to start at the beginning. We have to start with the knowledge that Our gifts are from God, but they also have very human aspects to them as well. 
And when we look at them through a singular lens, when we look at them as one or the other, either supernatural gifts by themselves or as human talents, God-given talents, then I think we get a misleading assessment of our gifts. And I think we run the risk of not knowing why God gave them to us in the first place. So now that I have you completely confused, let's, let's see if the Apostle Paul can help me explain my way out of this mess. So here's what he says about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through that same Spirit. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. The discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But he says, here's the thing. One and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Verse 7 says that each gift is a manifestation of the Spirit. Now I looked that word up. I looked up the word manifest. And Webster defines it as this, readily perceived by the senses, especially sight, and is easily understood or recognized by the mind. So by Paul calling the gifts a manifestation of the Spirit, he's saying that when the gifts show themselves, they are an outward or visible expression of the Spirit of God. True spiritual gifts are spiritual in that they are given only to those who believe in Jesus Christ. We also have to understand, though, that spiritual gifts differ from human talents in that they result in spiritual fruit. Here's a twist. Along with the supernatural element, there is also a very human counterpart to that element. Take the gift of service, for example. Using this gift will involve some form of human involvement, won't it? This gift may manifest in your life by you bringing food or meals to someone in need. Or maybe it shows up when you stop, you're driving down the road and you see someone on the side of the road with a flat tire. And instead of driving past like everyone else does, you stop and help them fix their flat tire. Maybe you see a perfect stranger that's yard needs cutting and you go over and cut it for them. See, that's the human aspect of it. You have a gift of service. You feel obligated almost to go and help people but there's a human aspect to it as well. Another one is teaching. It's kind of like doing this podcast. I don't know that what I'm doing now is teaching, but it feels that way. And, and in order to do this podcast, in order to do what I believe God is calling me to do, one of my gifts, I have to study the subject that I'm going to present. I have to prep and I have to obviously do it over and over and over again to try to get it right so that it would be good enough for you to sit and listen for 25 minutes or so. Administration is another. It involves planning. It involves calling meetings. It involves evaluating or setting goals and then evaluating the progress of them. The gift of giving is yet another spiritual gift, but that requires you have to, you have to get the money before you can give it away. 
You have to make a mental choice about who you're going to give it to and why you're going to give it to them. And then you have to follow up to make sure it's actually given. Now, it's been said that spiritual gifts should not be confused with natural talents. And I certainly agree with that. But I would also say that our spiritual gifts cannot be completely separated from our natural talents either. They, they actually go hand in hand. So in Psalms 139, we're reminded that it was God who fashioned us in, our, in the womb to begin with. Whatever our capabilities are, whatever our weaknesses are, our strengths are, they were given to us by God. Those talents are given to us by God. Now, human abilities alone will never produce eternal fruit. But our abilities, our human abilities, when empowered by the Holy Spirit, when paired up with the gifts of the Spirit, can and will bring about spiritual fruit. Let me give you an example. I don't believe it's an accident that Billy Graham was the gifted speaker that he was in a human sense. He not only had the passion to win souls to Christ, but he also had the ability to stand in front of thousands and thousands of people and deliver an almost flawless message. See, when Billy Graham stood on that stage, he didn't have the delete button that I have on this podcast. If I don't like the way something sounds on this podcast, I can go delete it out. But Billy Graham was standing in front of thousands of people. And I don't know if you've ever listened to one of his sermons, but they were almost flawless. But see, here's the point. There, the world is full of gifted speakers. The world is full of people who can stand on a stage and deliver an almost flawless speech. They don't have a clue, though, many of them, about helping someone find their way to Christ. Nor do they have the inspiration or the gift to do that. They have a gift. They have a gift to be able to speak. They have a talent to be able to speak. But they're not using it in a spiritual sense. Finally, I would say like natural talents, spiritual gifts must be developed and used to keep them fresh and strong. You may have the gift of teaching. But you would struggle without the training and the experience that can only come through practice and more practice and more practice. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6 to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Paul was telling him to be bold and he was telling him not only to be bold, but to continue to use the gifts to spread the gospel through his teaching. Our gifts, I believe, are like everything else. When we begin to move away from them, they begin to lose their impact that God intended them to have when, we, when he gave them to us in the first place. Here's another problem we need to be aware of. And it may seem strange that I bring it up while I'm trying to present to you knowledge about the gifts. But if you become more obsessed with your gift than you are about using it to help others, you begin to run the risk of shifting the focus from God and his kingdom back on yourself. At that point, it becomes a pride thing. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what my gifts are. Look at how much I'm helping people. Now, I know this podcast is about the importance of knowing your gifts, but I want to make it crystal clear that knowledge is not so important that we neglect service. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 8.1. And a dear friend of mine said it again this morning in Sunday school. While knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens 
the church. Nothing matters. If you read the, the, the verse in the Bible, it talked about clanging symbols. None of that matters. None of the gifts matters if it's not paired up with love. Now, as you think back on your spiritual journey, I would be willing to bet you that you learned a lot about your gifts. Whether you know it or not, you learned a lot about your spiritual gifts as you were serving others. And I'll tell you, the more I dig in and the more I try to understand the gifts, the more I come to realize that if we will devote ourselves to the service of others, you will inevitably be shown what your gift is. Here's another thing that I think gets in our way in understanding and appreciating the gifts that God has given us. I think we use the most popular people in the world to compare our gift to. We like to compare our gifts as human beings, right? We like to compare our cars, our house, how much money we have. We like to compare everything to someone else to give us a gauge of where we're standing. We do the same thing with our gifts. If you think you have the gift of teaching, you might be compelled to compare yourself to Beth Moore or Joyce Myers or Kay Arthur, Franklin Graham, T.D. Jakes. The list can go on and on. But the thing is, is you have to stop comparing your gifts. You are you. You are an individual in God's army. Quit comparing yourself to someone else and, and judging your abilities by their abilities. God didn't make all of us the same. Here's another one. guy by the name of George Mueller. If you have the gift of faith and you want to compare it to his, you might be in trouble. George Mueller lived in the 1800s, and among other things, he was a Christian evangelist. He was also the director of an orphanage in England, a huge orphanage. In his lifetime, he cared for and provided educational opportunities to over 10,000 orphans. He did so much good that he was actually accused by some of giving the poor too much hope. He established 117 schools which offered a Christian education to over 120,000 children. Imagine the faith it took to step out on those limbs. His phenomenal faith in Jesus allowed him to see farther than anyone before him and much farther than most that have come since. There's another gentleman by the name of Le Tourneau. I know I'm butchering his name. His gift of giving is not something you want to start off with as an expectation. He was born in the 1800s as well, and he became a giant in the industrial industry by inventing these monster machines that moved dirt. His contribution to the spread of the gospel ranks him as one of the greatest Christian businessmen of all time. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the 90-10 rule, right? 10% of your money of your earnings goes to tithe. That means 90% stays with you. Well, that wasn't good enough for him. He had the gift of giving. He, he spun it around. He kept 10% and he gave 90% to God. He gave 90% of his earnings, which was millions, by the way, to spread the gospel. Through foundations, he and his wife donated millions to help spread the gospel. Many of those foundations are still active today. If this tells you anything about how great he was in that field, when I googled giants of God, his name popped up. Speaking of giants of God, here's one more name I want to throw at you. 
if you had the gift of evangelism, if you have the gift of being a preacher, you have the gift. Please don't compare yourself to Billy Graham's abilities. He is a legend. Heaven will be much more full because of the work he did. Now, I spent time telling you about him and the rest of these people to show you or try to show you that if you spend time comparing your gift to theirs, you're making a couple of serious mistakes. One is that you're focusing on extraordinary gifts. All Christians are given gifts. Some are extraordinary. Some are not. It depends on the situation. Most of us will never get to that extraordinary level. Trying to define the gift of evangelism by the success of Billy Graham is wrong on so many levels. A person who wins, think about this. If you win several people a year to Christ, that is amazing. Billy Graham did it by the thousands. But even if you did one person a year, if you got them to come to Christ, that would be amazing. There, if there's a woman with a gift of faith who is trusting God to get her husband through the seminary and figure out how to pay the bills, but yet they still trust God, they still have faith in God, you wouldn't compare that to George Mueller's faith, but yet it's still faith. It's a gift of faith. The problem comes in when because we're humans, we like to compare and when we compare, we mistakenly suppose that evangelism has to take place behind a podium in a coliseum full of thousands of people. That's not true. Evangelism can take place around a coffee table, in a coffee shop, or in someone's home. When we compare and think teaching must be done behind a, a podium or a, behind a pulpit, we're wrong there as well. Teaching can happen on somebody's back porch. Teaching can happen in your workplace. Teaching can happen wherever you are. It's, it's no wonder to me why Christians struggle thinking they don't have a gift. It's because we're comparing it to the giants. We're comparing it to people who have been anointed by God to take on monstrous projects. So after having said all that, let's take a deep breath and, and talk for a few minutes about how someone can learn what his or her spiritual gift may be. I'm going to warn you up front, this is not mind-blowing stuff. It's very logical stuff. You know me by now if you listen to my podcast. I'm a very logical thinking guy, even when I'm talking about supernatural stuff. I want you to know that figuring out your gifts is not some fantastic mystery. Like I said, God has given you these gifts and God wants you to use these gifts. He's not going to classify them or make them top secret so it's really hard for you to figure out what it is. There's not some secret combination to figuring out what your gift is. Gifts are not for the spiritual elite like Billy Graham. Second, I want you to know that with just a little research, you can find very simple and concise definitions for each of the gifts listed in the Bible. For example, let me tell you what I found when I Googled faith. Definition of faith. You ready? It's the supernatural ability to trust God. <laughs> Is that mind-blowing or what? It's the supernatural ability to trust God. 
I also found out that faith is both active and passive. For example, stepping out on active faith, if you have the gift of an active faith, it may manifest itself in your life by trusting God enough to start a Bible study at your work or start one in your home. Someone else may exercise active faith by trusting God and quitting their job they've been working at for 20 years and starting a new business they feel led to start. Now, passive faith, the definition of that is faith that hangs on for dear life. Think about the spouse of the person who's just stepped out on faith and started a new business. Their faith has to be just as strong. While they might not be the one that's actively stepping out on that limb, they are certainly along for the ride. Their faith is just as important as the spouse's. They're the ones that says, you can do this. When their spouse is ready to throw in the towel, ready to quit and go back to work for that company they were working for, they're the ones that say, no, 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 no. God has got us on this. Stick with this. God is taking us in the right direction. Both types of faith are important. Both benefit the body of Christ because both encourages others to trust in the Lord. Now, I gave you those examples because I wanted to show you how simple they were. I wanted to show you that staying away from gifts defined in the terms of spectacular is the right thing to do for you and I. Define gifts as they relate to you. Whatever your situation is right now, define your gifts according to that. As they relate to the season that you're going through in your life right now, that's how you define your gifts. I want you to consider how the gift of faith would manifest itself in your situation right now, in your job, in your home, in the responsibilities you have in your church. How does your faith manifest itself? Third, and most importantly, when it comes to your gifts, obey the scriptures. Corresponding to every spiritual gift, if you read about them in the Bible, is an instruction to every Christian to carry out the function. I honestly believe that the reason most Christians don't know what their gift is, is that they've never tried to do it yet. They've not stepped out on faith. They've not tried to exercise the gift. Listen, if you were to stop me on the street and ask me what I felt like your gift was, the first thing I would have to do is ask you what you've tried. Have you ever tried to play baseball or basketball? Have you ever tried to water ski? Have you ever tried to bowl or to sew? Because if you haven't, you'll never know if you were good at it. That's the most simplest analogy I can give you. You can study a subject till you're blue in the face. You can study it till you know the intricate details inside and out. But until you try it, until you slide on those good-looking bowling shoes, until you pick up that first ball and roll it down that lane, you will never know if you're good at bowling, if that's your gift. In your obedience to the scriptures, do the things which you see need to be done. If you feel compelled to help someone, then help them. It might not be a coincidence that you're being driven to go help someone. Either financially or physically, it probably is not a coincidence. God will always supply us with the opportunity, but it's our responsibility to act on it. If we don't act on it, eventually that, that pressing that you feel will go away. Think of somebody you know with the gift of giving. They're the ones who are most likely 
to be sensitive to someone being in a financial situation. It's not always the rich that have the gift of giving. As a matter of fact, most of them don't. That's why they're rich. But there are some people, rich or poor, that feel the need to share and to help others. The same is true for an administrator, someone with the administrative gift. Most often, they will sense a lack of organization wherever they are and immediately move in to meet that need. Now, in my short time of being back to church, I've seen that with every spiritual gift comes the ability to identify the need as well as the ability to meet it and the desire and the drive to meet it. Individuals react to given situations in light of their gifts. That's what I'm trying to press on you here. If you have a gift, then you have a need to go do something in that gift. Let me use a very simple yet real life example. Pre-COVID, right? Before COVID came and you could get a bunch of people at a table in a restaurant without being six foot apart. Picture a group of Christians sitting elbow to elbow with no mask on. We're going back to good times. Imagine what happens if there is a waiter or a waitress walking by and they trip and dump the plate into the floor. So someone sitting at another table just lost their plate of food on the floor. Now I'd be willing to bet you that each one of those Christians would react in accordance to their spiritual gift. The person with the gift of mercy would respond by concentrating on helping clean up the mess. They would get it up off the floor. The person with the gift of giving would offer to pay for the meal to keep the waiter from having to pay for it out of his pocket since he was the clumsy one that dropped it. The person with the gift of encouragement would seek to cheer that same waiter up. It's not your fault. It's going to be okay. The person with the gift of administration, he would delegate or she would delegate and organize the whole matter to avoid confusion, would make it run as smoothly as is humanly possible. In other words, your spiritual gift makes you sensitive to certain needs. You would identify them and you would move towards a fix. And they would probably be needs that someone else may not have recognized. In other words, if you want your gifts to come to life, this is what I'm trying to tell you now. If you want your gifts to come to life, do what your mind tells you needs to be done. Because it may not be your mind talking to you. Fourth thing I want to point out, devote yourself to what you do best. Once you begin to meet the needs you see, you'll quickly discover that you do some things better than others. You already know this, but as it pertains to the gifts, you'll begin to understand some things fit into your wheelhouse. Now, like I've said before, the fact you don't do some things well doesn't mean that you should stop doing them altogether. But it should be a clue as to where you should concentrate your efforts. I'd ask you to begin to devote more and more time and energy to the things you do best. Because doing that will lead to development of the gifts that God has given you. In other words, start looking for jobs or volunteer opportunities that will help you enhance or improve your spiritual gifts. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 25, hopefully by reading it to you, or at least reading it in to you, I'll help you understand how important it is that you begin to use the gifts God given you. The parable begins by saying that there was a very rich man who was about to go on a journey. So he calls in three of his servants. And to each one of them, he gave the same amount of money. He gave a talent. 
two of his servants invested the money. And they both increased the value of what he had given them. One was so scared of the master that he actually buried the money in the ground. And when he came back, he had the same amount of money. Now listen to what the master says. Listen to this conversation between the two of them. It begins in the 24th verse of Matthew 25. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Now listen, this man thought he did a good thing. He was excited. Look, I brought all your money back to you. But listen to what the master told him. You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew that I harvested crops I didn't plant, and I gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance, he said. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what was Jesus trying to tell in that parable? What was the moral of the story? I believe what it was was that as Christians or servants of Christ, we're called to be productive. All of our health, all of our money, all of our time, all of our abilities, all the good things have been given to us by God. It is our responsibility to put them to use to benefit the kingdom of God. A time is coming, ladies and gentlemen. I hope more sooner than later. But a time is coming when the master will return. When Jesus will come down on those clouds and we will have to settle our accounts. We're going to have to answer for what we did or what we didn't do. Even as Christians, we're going to have to answer to that. At that point, it's going to be too late. We have to understand that it is not enough to say, Lord, I didn't waste any of the talents you gave me. I didn't do anything with them, but I didn't waste them. See, the expectation is that we use our gifts and use our abilities to benefit the kingdom. God desires that we be risk takers. God desires and requires that we share his commitment level. Now, I want to touch on two of the most common issues with our gifts here. Because one of the greatest dangers, in my opinion, of the exceptionally gifted is that the person lets the gift go to their head. It may not happen immediately, but eventually it can go to their head. When that happens, they'll begin to use their gifts to glorify themselves. You've seen it on news and TV and media, like you've seen singers move from glorifying God to glorifying themselves. You've seen pastors or evangelists move from glorifying God to glorifying themselves. On the opposite end of the spectrum, is for those whose gift seems insignificant. I believe that's just as much a danger. When they begin to compare themselves to those giants of God, if you will, they actually begin to despise the abilities they were given. They look down on them and they act, honestly, they quit using them because they think no one cares anyway. 
They are so insignificant that nobody even notices. Each one of us make up the body of Christ. Each one of us, no matter how big or how small, all play a role in the body of Christ. Paul says this about the body in Ephesians 4.16. He, meaning God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now I'll end with this. I hope that through God's word I've cleared up at least a little bit of confusion around how to identify your talents and your gifts that God have given you. I also hope that I've helped you understand how important it is that you not only use those gifts, but that you use them for God's glory. You use them for the good of the kingdom of God. I hope you know that God's gifts are gifts of grace. Nothing you've ever done or will ever do helped you earn them. Our gifts are given to us in spite of us, not because of us. You receive spiritual gifts just like you received the gift of salvation. It was free. It was never earned. I want to say this about salvation because maybe you can help someone else when they're trying to figure out their gifts. One of the hardest things that humans will ever do is to accept God's verdict that we are sinners in rebellion and that we deserve eternal punishment. We have to recognize that nothing we can ever do will ever merit God's eternal salvation. God's gift of salvation was made possible through the sinless life and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ when he came and died in our place. If we trust him as the one who died for us, if we trust him as the one who took our punishment, as the one who exchanged our sin for his righteousness, then and only then can we put ourselves in the position to mentally receive the gift of salvation. Once you've put yourself in the right position mentally, the gifts God has given you will begin to come to life. Once you begin to use your spiritual abilities to contribute to the ongoing work of his body, you'll begin to realize the true power of the Holy Spirit, the true power of the gifts that God has given you. It's at that point in your life, listen to me now, that the peace and the hope that can only come from God himself will begin to overflow. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and your family.